Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We thought we just messing around till we met that man in the thorny crown. It taught us our tricks and mischief leads to Satan. So from now on, there's no misbehaving. Okay. My legal team saying that? Cool. I'll follow the rules, right? Wrong! My legal team, listen up, because I'm done with you. I will not be threatened. I will not be intimidated. And certainly, I will not be silenced! Welcome to the Banjo College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Paul, joined as always uh, by my co-conspirators, Andrew Stevens and Brian Scott Rippey. Fellas, how are we? Oh, am I taking it first this time? All right. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess I took it first last time. I'm doing well. Um, Rips at the beach, so um, doing uh, much, much worse than he is. But hanging in here, I got a $20 Georgia vintage uh, jacket on. Um, it's got a old English bulldog crest, which KP and I have determined is the best crest because it looks like it used, it was used to oppress, oppress Irish people. Um, but other than that, uh, a little better than last week. How about you, Rip? Feeling tropical and sunburned, but I hadn't been to the beach in like two or three years, so this has been pretty awesome. I can't tell you the last time I jumped in a pool. Now, I, I'm not built for pools, but like being in water that is not my shower would be nice. Yeah. Or or terrifying. You no. pee in without getting caught. <laughs> oh, all right. Here we go. This is going in on Twitter. We're going to be honest here for our listeners. Uh, are are we pee in the shower, folks? I'm going to go ahead and say I am because I'm lazy and single. Um, this was this is a, a Twitter debate. I think the people who aren't are just liars or women. I guess they have a a uh, disadvantage in terms of uh, not peeing on themselves. I agreed. Big time pee in the shower guy. I am for the most part not. I have before when it just like hits and it's like, oh, I'm not gonna make it. But most of the time it's like I can hold on for at least like twelve or fifteen seconds long enough to make it out like next to the toilet. I I try not to pee in the can. This is a laboratory thing, right? And like eighty percent of the people said yes, but the other twenty percent are just liars because it almost becomes a sport. Can you keep it inside the silver drain? Well, for me, I'm telling you, it's it's a it's a liability. Like, I, I mean, being nearly seven feet tall and the shower curtain being right there, it, it, the the amount I am trying to limit the amount of times uh, my gangly body has to cross the threshold of the slippery shower, and therefore it, the times I have to increase that is going to. Uh, 
definitely up the hospital visits. Although um, yesterday I got an x-ray because I thought I broke my shoulder when I fell off my bike last week. Didn't uh, have a broken shoulder, so decided to bike again that day to celebrate and fell off uh, within 15 minutes. And so I'm going to buy a stationary bike and stop hurting myself. Yeah, like I'm not judging shower peers. Don't get me wrong. It's, you got to do what you got to do. You know, live your life. But as for me personally, I, I have before. I'm not going to say I never have, but I do my best not to, if possible. I'm going to take it a step further. I'm judging people that don't. So if you're out there listening and you have not, I think you're different. And I probably <laughs> don't like you because of it. So there we got that out of the way. <laughs> we got the super. This is why. This is why we have three people in this podcast. So we can form a super majority. Exactly. AP, you're wrong. Wrong, bad, and unethical. And in if it, you know what on a on a college football podcast that's supposed to discuss efficiency, you're out here wasting time. Stepping out of the shower and pee. I mean, you're basically running the Georgia offense of of clearing your bladder while in the shower. Speak, you're wasting water. Wait. Save the whales. Speak, exactly. Speaking of wrong, bad, and inefficient, uh, today there we go. Uh, rep- That's called a segue. Rep- representatives from Mississippi State University and the University of Mississippi descended upon Jackson, Mississippi, to lobby for the changing of the state flag. Um, a lot of this comes down from the decision of the NCAA not to hold postseason events in the state of Mississippi as long as the flag remains unchanged. Uh, Kylan Hill, a star running back for Mississippi State, threatened to sit out all contests until the flag was changed. Um, now, Rip, you are you know our state of Mississippi expert, so I'm just going to kind of give you the ball here and let you roll. So, what's what are you hearing? So the, it's interesting, like the actual temperature of the state is like ev- anytime one of these stories, particularly on a sensitive issue like race or something like that, comes up or like racist symbolism, like they want to like, I feel like every story is covered, like it's kind of a struggle or like there's really two sides to it. But this is really pretty one sided. I mean, there, I guess there are a few people. I mean, there's a one particular local state senator that's coming to my mind in particular named Chris McDaniel. But outside of that, pretty much everyone wants this flag change. And they have for a long time. And I guess it's kind of just the very old um, political money in Mississippi. There's probably still some left, but that's really the only resistance left in this. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily buy a ton into the narrative that, quote, they didn't have the votes at first. I mean, it's pretty unanimous. Hell, the, the, the Mississippi Baptist Convention or whatever the organization is there, they even put out a statement saying they wanted it changed. So if you have religion and football, religion and athletics in Mississippi all saying they want it changed, like what, like that covers a lot of real estate. I just, I'm, I'm not finding a ton of people that do not want it changed. So, like, I guess it's is anything in government, you know, it it's obviously a lot more of a struggle than it should be to change something like this, but most people want this thing gone. So Rip, I have one question in terms of the like Greg Sankey and the SEC side of things. So their I guess leverage point was that they were going to restrict all postseason activity in the state of Mississippi. Now we talked a little bit about that, but like can you can you spell out what that actually means? Because like they're not moving media days to Jackson, like they're they're not hosting the SEC basketball tournament there. Like what what in terms of like leverage points, can they withhold from those two universities to sort of like try and get this ball rolling even further? 
smaller sports. So it would have been like tennis, track and field, softball, hosting like the SEC tournament and stuff there at those smaller sports where they don't have a neutral side. But as we were talking about in the group last week, uh, to your point, and I kind of had the same sentiment when the, when Sankey went on Feinbaum and said this, it was a little bit toothless. It really wasn't until the NCAA stepped in and said, hey, you know, we're amending our policy. And that's when you know college, I, college football, what am I saying? College baseball regionals, softball regionals, like women's basketball, because state has a really good women's basketball program, can't hurst the first couple rounds of the NCAA tournament there. That's really when it became, okay, this is actually going to screw with a lot of major sports. And I guess kind of the irony in all this is sports really shouldn't be what moves the needle on this in terms of getting a flag with the Confederate flag changed. But, you know, whatever. If it gets changed, I don't really care about the method at this point. So what what is the uh, I mean, no, we are not plugged in as politics experts, but what is the timetable that like we're looking at here? Like is and again, I, I don't think anyone has insight specifically into Kylan Hill, but like. I would imagine when he says, like, I'm not playing until this is changed, it's not like I'm not playing until, like, the legislation goes into place that this isn't changed. I I imagine he's saying, like, if that flag is flying alongside the Mississippi State flag on whatever day, even if there's fans or not, like, I'm not running out of the tunnel. And so I I would imagine that this needs to be some sort of an expedited process. Yeah, so I am actually I actually don't know, and this was a hell of a week to go to the beach because like the last two days I've been kind of unplugged from this. But the thing I took from Hill's sentiment, and it was a noble one, is that he was like my I'm just guessing here. My guess here is he wanted to get the ball rolling on this whole thing and kind of wanted to make his voice heard. And so I'm not sure of a timeline of the thing actually going down, but if they pass whatever they need to make sure this is changed. I got to feel like that's probably going to be good enough for him just because like, if it's not, if it's getting changed in October versus September or whatever, I doubt he's going to end up sitting out the first month of the season. If the end goal is ultimately going to be accomplished, just whatever government bullshit, you know, in terms of time frame it takes to actually make the change. But, uh, and it's a little different because the state universities haven't flown the flag in a couple of years. Ole Miss, I think finally took it down in 15 State may have been earlier than that. So, like, it's not being flown on campuses right now. None of the major universities fly the flag anymore. Right. I do think – And that's uh, – oh, sorry. Go, go ahead, KP. Yeah, I was just saying I do think it's interesting that, you know, a lot of players could have threatened to sit out or boycott. And, you know, it would have been serious. But I do think Kylan Hill, who is probably the best college football player in the state right now, uh, the fact that it was him kind of, you know, at the forefront really means a lot. And again, like you said, Rip, it shouldn't have to be sports that gets the Confederate flag taken out of your state flag. But if it is, you know, again, it's a 21 year old kid who's an incredible athlete and, you know, a stand up guy, it seems like that's what it takes to get it done. So. Something I'm interested in looking at a little bit of sort of parallels between Kylan Hill and and um, um, Chuba is again I I don't want to take anything away from like them them sort of putting the onus or, or them taking autonomy of the situation and and again like we were saying last episode like not going to Gundy in private because you own the leverage in a public forum like I am interested like are it it, it seems as if immediately both of these situations, like the moment one player came out, like the entire team rallied behind them. And so I'm wondering, are we having a, 
like our teams talking in their group texts or their slacks or group me's or whatever and saying like we need to get Kylan, we need to get Chuba like out as the face of this because they hold the most leverage or like are these just happen to be like two unique or I don't want to say unique by any means but are these two cases where like not only the best player on the field happens to be like the leader in the locker room too It's a good point. I don't know. Like are you like are these just so like are these two individual stances that just so happen to be the best two guys on said team? Or to your point, is this more like, hey, let's get the face of the program out in front of this as kind of like the poster child for how, mo- I mean, most all of us in, or I would say all of them in the flag debate thing, but on the Oklahoma State side too. Like, is it more of like, let's get this guy out in front of this face of the program thing? I got to think it's probably a little more individualistic because like the one guy that's been outspoken on this from Ole Miss First, it was a guy named Kenny Yaboa, and he actually hadn't even played a game here yet. He's a grad transfer tight end from Temple, and he spoke out on it about a month ago, and it never actually gained much traction. I was a little surprised by that. But another guy has been defensive end, Ryder Anderson, who is a good player, but not a like superstar, obviously not the best player on Ole Miss's team by any stretch. So I think it's just you're seeing more and more of these individuals speak out, but the problem is it's going to make a hell of a lot more headlines when it is a Chuba Hubbard and it, and it is a Kylan Hill. Right. Yeah, no, no, no. That, and and I, I don't want to detract from any of them. Um, I, I, my thinking was like, it, it, and I think we see this at UCLA right now too, like these players, and again, not new because of what we saw in Northwestern a couple of years ago, but like these, these players are a lot more active, involved and plugged in than I think like the average, especially from what we've seen, Rippy, like the average even beat reporter will give them credit for. Um, and so I, I think having these like, they, they get this, I mean, they get this bad stereotype of like they come here to play football when it's like, no, you force them to play football and like not actually give them the ability to like take legitimate, sometimes difficult majors because of the time commitment. And so it's interesting to see like when they have the ability to stand up for what's right or wrong or really like make their voice known that they are seemingly doing it across the country right now. I think that's a school like if you if you want to place blame as to why that is, I think that's probably partially the school's fault because I have this conversation all the time with other guys on like the Ole Miss media contingent. As in colleges, as they continue to restrict access, we don't know any of these kids. We don't know a whole hell of a lot about them aside from what they do on the football field. Because you don't you get to talk to them and you get them in a meet I mean, other than you know, special requests for sometimes getting one-on-one interviews. You're talking to them in, for 10 minutes in a pool interview where it's all canned softball questions. Like, as access gets restricted, you find out less and less about these kids and who they are actually as people. Yeah, and and I mean, Georgia, and this was a Nick Saban philosophy thing that Kirby adopted at Georgia. I mean, it, it was – and the year I, co- I covered – uh, the team in 2016, which was Jacob Eason. And so it was no freshman do no freshman do press. And like, that's, that is a, a blanket policy. I'm not sure if it's been amended since then. Um, but that was a big, I mean, that's a big thing that Saban's always done. It's, it's assistant coaches and freshmen don't talk to the media and you, you end up seeing where you are protecting a lot of these kids. And, and I like the, the, the idea that you're like, you're not sending a kid that has never potentially been away from home, like in front of a pool of reporters that could take things out of context. But like, as you start to grow, especially with some of these bigger guys, like they do kind of need reps doing media interviews. Like they are mandatory in the, in the NFL a lot of times. Um, And so 
I see a lot of situations where you should end up having these sophomores and juniors that are going to be pro ready to get them pro ready, not just on the field, but like doing doing media stuff. And obviously you're not going to throw them out to the Sharks because anyone that is going to be asking those questions is going to be a school vetted and SID approved reporter. Buddy, you know what situation you're describing to a T? Laramie Tunsil. Entire time at Ole Miss. From, no, seriously, from the loaner car incident on, so, like, from the time he was – I guess he was a sophomore. No, that was mostly his junior year. Couldn't talk to the media. Would not talk to us. So, we haven't – Laramie Tunzel hasn't done a media interview in, like, two and a half years. And then they act shocked when he kind of – no offense to the guy. I like Laramie Tunzel, but trips over himself on draft night in, like, the biggest media spectacle in the world. Ole Miss did him a disservice by not letting him talk to the media because Hugh Freeze and company were so paranoid that, one, he was going to say something, or us – you know, the local media contingent who's having our access basically just dangled in front of us like a carrot is actually going to press him on anything regarding the investigation. So I don't know. I think they did him a disservice because no shit. He hadn't talked to anyone in over a year. Like he tripped over himself and said something dumb. And then now you're seeing it as a professional. He's super charismatic. He's super funny. He's super awesome. But you never got to see that side of him that no. I missed. But to say, dude just got paid. So Yes, he did. Good on, good on him. Good on him. Going forward, you know, sort of in the same vein, I do think it's very interesting that Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin, who were who were and still are two of the biggest personalities, you know, in the sport, uh, they're both first-year head coaches and quite possibly the most hotly contested rivalry in the country. And their first big task, you know, after signing day is lobbying state government to change the state flag. Uh, I'm really not sure where I'm going forward with this, but I do think it's interesting that two guys as outspoken as Leach and Kiffin and sort of not as aloof, but just sort they know how to have fun on social media and with the media as a whole. Uh, And I do think it's interesting that they both showed up um, not arm in arm, but they shook hands, you know, wearing masks. Leach is not over his nose, obviously, uh, and sort of showed a united front for, for Mississippi college football. Yeah, I have pretty good intel that Leach is actually lobbying for a change to the Jolly Roger and the Mississippi State flag just become that. <laughs> what do you think the flag should be, Rip? Should it be DK Metcalf okay, so, peeing at the 2017 Egg Bowl or Elijah Moore peeing at the 2019 Egg Bowl? <laughs> so if you want to fashion it a little bit like the United States flag, is you could have the big picture of Metcalf at the top where all the stars are, and then the stripes are just little dots of Elijah Moore doing it two years later, as <laughs> I thought I had. And, I like that or, or you could do you could do it where the like you cut it diagonal, uh, like the, the the top quarter of the flag, like sandwich style, and you put 25 peeing DK Metcalfs on the top left side and 25 peeing Elijah Moore's on the bottom right side. Seems pretty bulletproof. Or if you really just wanted to make it simple, you could enlarge him peeing and then whatever he's peeing on, because we have a couple like flowers we're known for. Like it could be a magnolia flag or a magnolia flower or something, and he's just irrigating the flower. We are the magnolia state. I was about to say, and that would promote this entire new uh, this entire new vein of um, conservation as well, environmental conservation. Um, I think we saw we saw a huge a huge step towards environmental conservation when uh, the richest man in soon to be the history of the world, um, instead of donating to fight climate change, he bought an arena <laughs> and named it what the Climate Change Center or something. 
Yes, and then the little guys over here like us are doing our part while conserving water in the shower. Yeah, on really, I mean, truly, truly unbelievable. It, yeah, it, we're, it, it, our it really pee's is. going straight down the lane. We're, we're, we're watering fields across the state of Mississippi. The uh, the Delta Basin is becoming rich with sediment, and we got Jeff Bezos over there just doing nothing but performative action. It unbelievable. Re- it really is wild how Jeff Bezos is you know, probably called – maybe not culprit number one, but in the top 10 worldwide for sure in terms of destroying the climate and people's lives. And then he just decided to buy the naming rights to an arena. Do you guys ever think about the chain of suffering you cause when you click two-day shipping on Amazon? (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's a nightmare. The human torture wheel begins. Yeah. I. I needed I needed to buy a microphone for this stupid fucking podcast, and so somebody in San Bernardino had to die. Exactly. It's an absolute dog, a dog shit system we live in, and that's you know, and that's Bezos. But hey, it's called Climate Change Arena, Andrew. So you know he's doing his part. I was about to say, you know, what the, that uh, reminded me of is that governor that drank chocolate milk to promote diversity. You remember this story? I think it was the governor uh, of Illinois. Oh, from like God. 2018. I, <laughs> Y'all don't is, remember this? I'm going to send you a link when we get done. It's very my brain. My brain. Uh, my brain refuses to. Uh, at some point, I'm sure that it, it was shown to me, and I have selectively decided to to edit it out. That's buried in the same part of my brain. I hope he got a standing that. ovation. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Yeah. The uh, so. I do kind of want to circle back. We're talking about climate change arena and that it's ultimately being bought for the NHL Seattle team that's been promised to them. But ultimately I think they're, they're angling to bring the NBA back there. And so you have this, and we we can talk about this a thousand times over, but I do feel like it's changed and it's going to change week to week, but like we're on a like, Oh, I don't think we're playing football week this week. And last week we were on a, like, we're going to play football no matter what week. And like, I think like 10 minutes before we got on Greg Abbott, I mean, he hasn't done anything right in his goddamn life, but he just reversed the, whatever the, the open bars order. So they're at 50% or 25% capacity now. Like I, I feel, and again, next week we will probably be on a play football week, but like, I feel like right now we are on a, mm, we know it's a bad idea. And like, it maybe the people that are making the decisions are finally starting to realize. I guess we just didn't realize it uh, at the time, but in the seven days since we've recorded, uh, was like 23 states have all reported new record highs in daily cases. Uh, it's been a, a complete nightmare um, and pretty much everywhere, but the Northeast. And I'm not even Nikola Jokic. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all the Serbs have it. Nikola Jokic, Djokovic, uh, all of them. Jabari Parker apparently has a place for the Kings. No one knows that. No one knew that. Um, yeah. That was my biggest takeaway from that story. I said, he's on the Kings. I, I barely remember him on the Bulls. It's. <laughs> I barely remember him on the Hawks. What? <laughs> Getting paid twenty million dollars a year, though. I mean, absolute. I'm absolute bag collecting king. But I, so I don't know. I, again, I, I have no idea where we're going to end up here, and like where the water is going to level out. Uh, one of the big Saints beat reporters, Nick Underhill, just said from his sources and his conversations. Obviously, this is the NFL, but he's saying he thinks that 
everything has led him to believe that it's going to be business as usual. Um, but I don't know. The, the NBA bubble seems like the worst idea in the world. I think one of the MLS teams and one of the WNBA, like teams, teams, like not players, like have dropped out. You got NBA players dropping. Like what is going to happen when a person who we say isn't supposed to die, die? like what happens when a 24-year-old dies from this? The, the issue with the NBA bubble is that it was it's a great idea if it actually was a bubble, but the fact that they're going to let players go in and out you know, at certain times, you're going to let media in and out. No, no, it's the, opposite. Out. it's the opposite. Players have to stay, but like all the workers and like everyone like there to serve them is goes in and out. And so like, it's, it, it's, a, it, it's not a, it's like, that's not a fucking bubble. If anyone is allowed in and out, it, it's not a bubble, which again, bubble is a great idea. If it's like, okay, cool. Here are the 500 people that we need to, you know, operate this, or maybe 1000 people we need to operate this. That's it. No one in or out for the next four months or however long it takes. Uh, but obviously that just wasn't ever going to happen. And you see the nightmare that's already unfolding. We're still a month out from this and it's bad. And I think it's only going to get worse as time continues. Yeah. And, and as we keep going on this, we, when we when we say like more information versus less, like, oh, we're going to need more information. Like we have governors right now of states that literally don't know what's going on. Like we, we, we have, as we just said, we have governors reversing decisions that they made less than a week ago. And so we're not getting any more information on this. And so I do, we, we talked about this last episode, but I want to know when that final date is that we have to know, oh shit, this is when college football is going to happen, or this is when sports are going to happen. And, and the more and more it, it looks like it is, we are just going to barrel ahead towards that date. And then on August 9th or whatever, say, I mean, well, we got this far without seeming to really address the problem. Why don't we just continue this attitude for another four months? It's like we're trying to extend the game as long as possible, like in an actual football game. It's like, what's the old mantra? It's like, man, if we can just get this into the fourth quarter, I think we got a shot. Or, you know, you know what it feels like? It feels like we're fouling down 14 with a minute left in basketball. <laughs> yep. Like, like it, it, it really, like, it's like, God, come on here. Like, it doesn't matter how many timeouts you have. Like, we, we've lost this game. There's a 0.3% chance we can win. So let's just do a bunch of BS and try to hit that 0.3%. We saw Texas A&M do it the tournament a couple of years ago. It is possible. <laughs> The, a little bit of like a non sequitur here, but were y'all surprised? Like, so when they obviously announced the bubble thing, oddly enough, the first couple of opt outs weren't necessarily COVID reasons, right? Like, Davis Bertans didn't want to screw up his ACL. Avery Bradley wanted to spend time with his kid. Uh, what was Trevor Ariza's reasoning for it? Maybe that was COVID related. But you're you're seeing opt outs that didn't have. Yeah, yeah, they weren't directly COVID related. That was kind of a surprising part of that to me. Yeah, Woj was like, Trevor Ariza has not seen his 11-year-old son in three years. His baby mama threatens to kill him in front of family. It's like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. But, I mean, yeah, for like for Bertons, Bertons, a lot of these, like, I'm not risking a single future contract to go play for the Wizards at the Yacht Club for an asterisk title. Like, absolutely not. I would opt out too if I were him. I think that's part of the reason the options there, just because, like you said, if you're on like the Kings, 
or the Wizards, like, what are you really doing? I get why they have to bring them there to have some semblance of competitiveness and kind of the playoff race and all that. But, like, if you're a player on one of those teams, it's, like, barely going to get in, if at all. It's like, what are you doing? Because even if you get in, like, congrats, you're going to play LeBron four times. And, and this, this I think, is is the, the connecting link between the NBA and, and really all of football here because while we have pushed forward to – I have no idea where we're pushing forward to, but like if we are going to barrel ahead and just have a season, what is becoming increasingly obvious to me, I think is the lack of legitimacy that it's actually going to hold. Meaning it's becoming even stupider to actually do in real time. Like as you have players drop out, as you, as it's becoming clear that like, a significant player for a significant team is going to miss time in a real series because of coronavirus. It's becoming pretty clear that like, this is going to be a huge asterisk title where I think anyone with a brain is going to look back being like, that was dumb as shit. So in college football, yeah, you're going to play it, but like, God damn, does it matter that Jamie Newman leads Georgia to the national championship. But like, does it really matter this season who we're going to crown a champion in the sport most dependent on fans without fans and some weird half product? Right. It's if there's ever a year the NBA needs chalk to hold up, it's this year because it's going to look a hell of a lot more legitimate if Milwaukee or one of the LA teams wins it, where if Houston goes into the bubble and wins the title the way that is, then the way that setup is going to be like, all right, come on, this is not legit. Can you exactly. imagine James Harden winning his title this way? That would be hilarious. No. And that's his only title. He retires. I mean, he retires with one COVID title, and that's it. <laughs> well, KP, he would retire with one COVID title because they would bring him in a coffin to the Miami Beach, and he would live there for the rest of his Very days. Very true. Very true. Going forward, the uh, the next thing I kind of wanted to talk about is uh, if you're here in this podcast, um, you're obviously a fan of college football. So you've probably seen the video that Alabama football put out yesterday, uh, a pretty strong and emphatic statement in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, a lot of prominent players and Nick Saban all uh, you know, appearing in the video. Uh, and first thing I want to talk about is just the overall shock value, because even as a Bama fan uh, and a pretty big one, I kind of never expected them to be this forthright with it. Um, Cannot say that, you know, I saw this coming at all. And also, I kind of want to talk about what this means for other big programs who are probably content with, you know, like we said, waiting out the clock on this. Yeah, one thing that um, I I would say two things that I think Nick Saban has always stood for is uh, one I think he has legitimately always been an advocate of his players. And I, I think just about all of them will vouch for that. And two, he is the single greatest controller of messaging that I think college football has ever seen. And, and I don't want to take away from the legitimacy of this by saying that like messaging comes off in a little bit of a PR way, but like, I think Nick Saban understands the value that he holds in that state and that what he says carries extreme weight. And so as opposed to releasing something on Twitter that is supposed to be shared around by the SEC network, Instagram account or whatever. Like this is something that is put in front of people's eyes. That is sort of like, if you're not with it now, Bama fans, like that's fine. Don't get with it, but like, don't come and support us on Saturdays. And so I I think that from that perspective, 
he really was able to weaponize his messaging for good in that like pushing that narrative forward of we're we're not going to stay silent here and like if we're not staying silent like what the fuck are you xyz small school doing about it i mean we talked about this don't know where Kirby is right now, but it it would be nice if the largest Saban imitator on earth decided to imitate him on something uh, very good. But Kirby, um, yeah, Kirby is climbing Stone Mountain right now and tearing it down by hand. That's what he's doing. <laughs> piece by piece with his own chisel. <laughs> he's he's carving Vince. He's carving an image of Vince Dooley on the side of Stone Mountain. <laughs> I was about to say Vince Dooley and then Nick Chubb, Todd Gurley, and Sony Michelle walking arm in and arm. And with Dominique Wilkins. <laughs> with Dominique Wilkins, yeah, absolutely. Jumping over all of them. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I think that you uh, you have to look at Saban and applaud him. And I'm interested to see because we always have talked about how insular this coaching circle is. And like you, you see it in the worst of ways when um, the the like DJ Durkin stuff came out at um, Maryland, where you just have dumbass coaches kind of blindly defending him, it it, it would be interested to see if if the I would obviously call that negative messaging. It would be interesting to see if positive messaging translates the same way where if you do end up with a trickle down effect um, because we talked about Jeremy Pruitt doing well we talked about even like the Will Muschamps of the world and um, I I do think now that something should be amended that we said last time like I I don't think open channels of communication is enough with your players like I I think it, it is great to have let your players know that you have their back but I think now you're reaching a responsibility point where like when you're the highest paid state employee and when you are legitimately the most powerful person in a town of 200,000 people or whatever you want to call it, like you do have a responsibility to like be vocal in a time like now, especially when a lot of the residents of that town may not exactly want to hear what you're saying. He's the highest paid state employee. You know, that's just that, that alone. Um, And a lot of these coaches are Kirby is, you know, obviously Saban, uh, Jimbo Fisher. It's, you know, that's your responsibility right there. You're an employee of the state of Texas, uh, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana. That's your obligation right there at the minimum. Yeah. I think the, uh, I think what part of it is like, it's just being genuine because like people seem in this day and age, particularly with, with it being as pressing of a topic as it is for the last month or so is like, they can sift through the bullshit or whatever. Like if you're just putting out a statement, I mean, you remember the first two days after the George Floyd, uh, you know, incident happened, it was just every single AD and coach in the country just putting out statements that were just full with bullshit platitudes. And I feel like that doesn't pass the smell test for most people now. And that's why I think Pruitt has come out looking so good in a lot of this is because you can kind of tell it's genuine and he's going past just the statement or whatever. And so I think like the, the, you talk about obligation as the highest state employee or highest paid state employee i think the bar for what you have to do with that has been raised in my opinion at least that's what i've seen yeah i and there is um there is definitely the the genuine aspect of the more people are consuming things online like and i think that's something especially our age and people younger like 
we know when we're being patronized and like we we know when we're being spoken down to and especially a lot of these these kids that are realizing their their power and their leverage right now like they they really understand when they are trying to be pacified to have something just blow over and so i i think that's why you're seeing a lot of these things occur in in the public domain because you you have kids that are or you're having uh, schools that are being held accountable now because they're not just being held accountable by the players, they're being held accountable by their fan bases. And so I think that as you have more and more coaches come out, you can have more and more fan bases that are saying, what about our school? Where is our messaging? And ultimately, like us as consumers and us as fans of these institutions and alumni of these institutions, like, we really only have like a few tangible ways in which we can affect things. And, and like, I am a firm believer of like trying to spend your money ethically. And so like, again, it's like dumb shit, but like tried to go to Popeye's instead of Chick-fil-A. And like, it's again, they're both corporate owned, but like maybe one corporation doesn't donate to as many bad places. And so like, a little things like that of like, no, Georgia's not going to receive my money in the future. Like if they don't come out with the proper messaging here, like Alabama's not going to receive KP's money. And, and like these, I think, are the the consumerism decisions that I think I would encourage people to just generally evaluate to say like, all right, is it that big of a deal for me to replace X with Y if X isn't cutting it? morally or ethically or yada, yada, yada. Like, is it that big of a deal to eat Jif peanut butter instead of Peter Pan because one uses slave labor or not? I know this is sort of taking a little bit of a a, a turn, but like, I, I think that a lot of these schools are just banking right now on, we will give you money or you will, you will give us your money because we hold the one thing that you want. And I'm interested to see that if they don't come out messaging correctly, are you going to have well-meaning people that then restrict their dollars there? I, I, I don't know, but I would like to think so. I think it's also a little different in college because you're talking about largely deeply conservative fan bases too. Cause like kind of where you fall in the political spectrum uh, kind of influences what you're talking about in terms of like how that goes. So like, could college like, like professional sports? I definitely see it, but like colleges, you're talking about like largely. Obviously, this is a generalization, but like deeply conservative fan bases for the most part. Especially the, I mean, the largest, uh, the larger the brand, almost. I mean, the yeah. the more rooted. I mean, the biggest brands in college football. You you do have Ohio State, Notre Dame, and and Michigan, but like, I mean. Alabama, Texas, LSU, Clemson, Georgia, like all of these are uh, ha- half of the SEC is a probably a top 20 brand in college football. And so, yeah, you you definitely um, you definitely have the the root of this occurring in deep red territory. For sure. I am looking forward to all the Alabama fans that um, are giving up their season tickets or will no longer support. Um, you know, I have been buried deep, deep in the Tide Pride waiting list uh, since I graduated. So hopefully this moves me up a couple hundred spots and I can get season tickets before I'm 73 years old. 
But to your point, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Because you remember when Pruitt announced the the game, they're going to wear the black jerseys against Kentucky and donate to Black Lives Matter. Like most normal, like you know, most normal people are like, "Oh, that's a good idea." Look at him coming up with actual, genuine, creative ways. But he did. If you actually go read like some of the local Tennessee stuff, he did seem to have some blowback amongst his own fan base, even for something as simple as that. Oh yeah, I mean. Again, not not a bad uh, not a bad way to touch on a little bit of the Bubba Wallace stuff because I I think for the most part these people are either one full of shit or two just not the grand uh, obviously not the grand majority but make up such an infinitesimally small yet vocal part of the majority that you won't actually notice like the NFL's ratings dip nothing to do with Colin Kaepernick. Like that, that, that is not a Colin Kaepernick problem. That is a sports media landscape problem. Just like people that are going to look at, oh, Nike's quarter four numbers are down. It's not because they've taken any political stances. It's because we are or quarter four, whatever, whatever numbers that just came out quarter one. Um, it's because we are in the middle of a global pandemic. And so I, I think that you don't actually have people that are going to be um, I mean, sure. If if fourteen people end up canceling their Alabama season tickets because Nick Saban came out saying that I support black people, um, I, you might have some of that. But I ultimately don't think that like you are going to have any sort of uh, registerable difference in in anyone's uh, behavior patterns based on people like taking a stand for the objectively right. I well, could be wrong, but. Not to mention is half the people – and this really goes, I think, on both sides of it, whether it's conservative, liberal, whatever. Half the people that say, I'm done with this, I'm giving up with this, are full of shit. They're not actually doing it. They're just saying it because they're angry. Like the like, I think there's even smaller percentage that whatever it is, I'm done with this, I'm giving up X, I'm giving up the NFL, I'm giving up the NBA because it's too political or whatever it is. Half those people are full of shit. They don't actually stop watching the NFL or the NBA, in my opinion. Well, it, it, Oh, God, no. They make a video throwing their Keurig off the cliff that they were going to get rid of anyway, yeah. and then they fucking go back to their normal behavior. Right. Dog shit. It's either, it's, Sorry, it's either a Keurig that they weren't using at all, or they went and bought a Keurig that they did not previously own just to throw out. So it's, you know, these companies aren't worried about losing fans or losing consumers because they're too strong of companies for that. Like Nick Saban knows that, look, if we lose 300 season ticket holders, uh, putting out this video, we'll have 700 more, you know, who sign up and wait to get in line. So it's, again, there's not a ton of risk in making these statements. uh, But even then, that's even more of a reason to come out with it. Yeah, I mean, racists are not great with logic overall, but like they really are bad in like the leverage that they seem to possess because again, we've talked about this before, but like it's just good marketing to like support the right things. And, and like from take that as cynically as you will, but like if a team signed Colin Kaepernick, he would have the highest selling jersey in the NFL. Like I don't think it would be even remotely a question. And so you you have uh, people that seem to think that I'm I, I am revoking, and I know I just talked about revoking your spending power, but like I'm more hopefully talking about it at a, at a a larger scale and 
doing it ethically, but you have a lot of like misguided people that legitimately think that them removing their racist dollars is not then going to be replaced by two people in their spot. I mean, um, if you follow him on Twitter, like Shea Serrano is like, yeah, if you support Donald Trump, really like don't buy my shit. And they're like, fine, I won't. And then you see like three people in the replies that are like, hey, Shay, I just bought 17 copies of your book to give to everyone in my neighborhood because of that. And so like you, it, they just don't understand that they don't possess any leverage. <laughs> yeah, because like it, it's it's you, you mentioned like supporting uh, like I just lost my train of thought here because one of the uh, said household roommates is outside. Um, Anyway, the <laughs> the. It's like a it's a balance between like you said supporting the right things in terms of good as good business, but also not caving to social media pressure on stuff like that because you never actually know like which one is in the majority on the given thing. And I just feel like caving to a vocal minority on social media is bad business practice. But like supporting good things and good ethical things is good. I just think it's kind of a fine line to walk. Oh yeah, uh, and and you you definitely have the um you have the over. Politic, politic, polit. I don't. I'm not smart. What? What? Politicization, politicalization. Is that a word? Let's go with it. All right, we're going over politicalization. Pol- yeah, there we go. Um, like a George Bushism. Yeah, that. Oh, oh, new. You can't say nuclear. War, um, war, but war criminal nuclearization. War criminal Stevens over here. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say jet fuel can't melt steel beam Stevens, um, but. It, yeah, I mean, it, if you're, it, it, it looks extreme. Again, tying everything together, looks extremely. Uh, it's extremely thinly veiled if you are just like issuing platitudes on a lot of these statements. But if there are, if you are making like legitimate, like if you're Ben and Jerry's right now, and I know they've been doing it for a while, or like you are some of these companies that are legitimately. And I've always said, if a company tells you how much they're donating to charity, it's a PR campaign, not a philanthropy event. But still, like if you have some of these companies, but again, PR campaigns work a lot of times. And so when you have Jordan Brand or whatever donating $200 million to Black Lives Matter, or or you have these companies that are making like overt outward public statements, ultimately, like that is just going to play well into their bottom line. But where you see a lot of people falling short is uh, the gushers of the world where uh, gushers would be nothing without black lives. And uh, that is the only thing they said. about it. But there's also and you're also seeing as this kind of new wave of thing comes through, you're also seeing a lot of companies that are just completely unprepared or ill-equipped to actually put out like a thoughtful and nuanced statement or take a thoughtful and nuanced stance on something like this because, you know, they're like a chicken wing company or whatever. And they've just never had to like do this before. Yeah, it, it really is. It's like, did I need to know that like uh Purina dog chow served against black lives? No, but I mean, it's good that they do or like stood for black lives. No, but it's good that they do. <laughs> one, uh, absolutely. So one, uh, before we close, I, I kind of want to talk about, regular college football. I know that's frowned upon on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking, you know, you two have, you know, between, you know, your your work and where you went to school, you guys have seen a ton of football. So I really want to know what the best individual performance you've ever seen in person on a football field was. It's not, it, it, my, my answer is so great 
Uh, it's not even close. 2015, week two, Grayson Lambert went <laughs> 24 of 25, <laughs> 330 yards, put 52 points on Steve Spurrier, and literally forced him to retire. <laughs> it, it's not, yeah, I mean, not even, I mean, I saw Nick Chubb, I saw Todd Gurley, I saw guys go for 30 yards. It, Grayson Lambert, 2015, South Carolina. Uh, uh, of all the bad Grayson Lambert think, did for Georgia, I think, like, he retired Spurrier. That's the biggest gift you could ever give a Georgia fan. <laughs> really, really, truly <laughs> I think, uh I think for me, it's two come to mind. One of them was an old Miss person. The other one was 2010 Cam. Came into Oxford, Houston, nut second to last year, and they didn't punt, and he ran through and caught a touchdown pass in the first half. That's probably the best college offense I've ever seen a person. And then as far as from someone that I saw for Ole Miss, uh, McCluster against Tennessee in 09, where he Ooh. just torched Lane Kiffin. And Kiffin had like the famous quote, like looked at one of his assistants, is like, hey, can you go find me one of those? <laughs> No, he couldn't. I forget the numbers of that day. I'm about to look it up. I mean, it was it was insane. You can't uh, – we talk about scheme versus talent, KP. Scheme versus talent. <laughs> well, KP, what about uh, you? For me, it's, it's actually two. One is a little bit off the beaten path. Um, it was the 2003 uh, Bayou Classic. Um, you know, at that time, the SWAT championship game was only four years old, so uh, there weren't a lot of – you know, division championship games, so to speak. Uh, but at this point in time, Grambling had won three straight SWAC titles. And uh, the Bayou Classic was going to decide who won the West between Southern and Grambling. So obviously you've got a historical rivalry. I think it's the 30th Classic as well. So it's the Diamond Anniversary. Uh, two of the best, you know, 1AA teams I've seen play in my lifetime. And Southern wins 55 to 52. Southern quarterback Quincy Richard throws for 560 yards and five touchdowns, including the game winner with like Ooh. 40 seconds to go. It was insane. It's the it's the first time I remember like getting emotional over a win <laughs> as a kid. And Southern goes on to I win got the McCluster the step swag. pulled up. Oh, go ahead, KP. I said Southern goes on to win the swag and, and the-, the Black College National Championship. For those that don't, that can't see because this is an audio medium, KP is wearing an amazing vintage Southern University sweatshirt right now. He and I bought matching Southern University sweatshirts because uh, we both have to rep Baton Rouge while not living here, while absolutely not repping LSU. <laughs> um, but Rip, what, what was what was the McCluster set? Twenty-five carries for two eighty-two and four touchdowns. He averaged eleven point three <laughs> yards a rush. 330 all-purpose yards. Ole Miss scored 42 points in the quarterback through Jevin Sneed, RIP, through for 133. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, scored 42 <laughs> points. Actually, Rip, so in, in college, this must have been – yeah, it was twenty. It was 2016 because I was at the game watching the Cubs in the NLCS. Um, I was at the LSU Ole Miss game in Tiger Stadium in 2016 where Fournette broke the rushing record on eight carries. I think he had eight, eight carries for 250 yards. He at one point I, – I, I, I always go back and look this up because it's an old tweet of mine because I have put it out of stats. He at one point in the third quarter, I believe no, – no joke, I think it was six touches for 272. He was at like 43 and a half yards a rush. 
<laughs> That's in the third quarter. <laughs> my um, my, one of the. I said, my, that, that's just and I remember watching that game too. It was it was hilarious. Not an LSU fan. It was just hilarious to watch. Just <laughs> Fournette just rush for forty yards a touch casually. The most he, angry. The most angry, the most amount of angry emails I've actually gotten off a story was the lead for that game because he had that famous stiff arm of Deontay Anderson as he just threw him down like a ragdoll and then ran 60 more yards untouched down the sideline. I used that as the lead in my game story because I didn't think anything else just like encapsulated the game better than that. And so many people got pissed off about that. It was like, you'd probably be more mad that they lost by 30 something points, but what do I know? <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say the he. I think he put multiple people through the earth there. KP, you brought something up though uh, in your Southern story that I, I would like to touch on is three people that were uh, died in the wool in college football in in the early to mid two thousands. One double A, we got to bring it back. I mean, one A versus one. I'm I'm done with FBS versus FCS and G five versus P five. I want D one. I want D two. I want one A. I want one double. The distinction of FBS and FCS was because there was there was a playoff, and it's like there's a playoff in one A now. So the FCS doesn't hold as much weight in terms of a name. Uh, I do think one A and one double A is just. I mean, we were raised on it. It was the standard for a hundred years, and it wasn't bad. It's one of the few things from a hundred years ago that, you know, isn't bad today. <laughs> just so rare. One double A in Jefferson Pilot Sports is what I was raised on. <laughs> my uh, my other uh, greatest performance is uh, a little bit more mainstream uh, to most people. But it was Derrick Henry in the 2015 Iron Bowl. Uh, it's to this day, it's the only Jesus it's the only Iron Bowl I've attended that was in Auburn. Um, and look, I had a not a lot, I had a little bit of Captain Morgan before the game. So, you know, as it was going on, I, I understood Derrick Henry was having a big game. Like I obviously he took over the game, especially in the second half. Um if someone asks me immediately after the game, oh, like, you know, what do you think Derrick Henry's numbers were? I'd say, oh, man, probably like 32, 33 carries, you know, 190 yards in that last touchdown. Derrick Henry ran 46 times for 279 yards mm-hmm. and a touchdown. And, 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 and KP, that performance is so slept on. Because you sent it in to when I, my old company, you sent it in as a mailbag Friday submission. And myself and my co host, when we actually looked those stats up, we're like, that has to be fake. There's no way. I watched that whole game and I did not realize that man carried the ball 46 times and didn't get tired. So, okay. The, the, the great part about that game. So it was 2015. So I spent that morning watching Mark Rick's last game at coaching Georgia against Georgia Tech. Uh, Georgia won 13 to 7. And then we put down some good money on what I want to say was Alabama minus 13 in the Iron Bowl. And I don't know if you remember. It was 12 or 13. I think I want to say it was 23 to 16. And all Bama had to do was get one first down to kneel it out from the 10 yard line. And Derrick Henry broke through the line and just ended up scoring. And we ran around the apartment as if we had just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I want to say we cashed in like a $22 bet. But I have it was, absolutely it was no stats. I have no stats to back this up, but I think he does that more than any other player because he's done that to me for Titans games for the cover like f- no less than six times. 
I mean, it, it, he really is one of the best running backs to do it for because it's like at the end of the game, if you need that one, like if you're a defensive player thinking, all right, not only do we need to stop a guy that we haven't been able to stop all game, but then our offense has to get back out there. He is the the greatest just wear you down running back in the league. The He was actually scariest. His, his sophomore year at Bama was uh, TJ Yeldon's junior year and TJ Yeldon's last year at Bama. And it was devastating because TJ Yeldon was a very good college running back in his own right. And it's after three years of getting, you know, beat up on by TJ Yeldon, they send in the closer, he's 6'2", 240-pound Derrick Henry with fresh legs. And just his fourth quarter yards per carry that year were on another level. So thank you, Derrick Henry, for all the good memories from me and Brian Rippey. And also Andrew, I'm sure. <laughs> he might be my favorite Titan player of all time. And I, I don't even yeah. think that includes recency bias. He fumbled in 2016 on the first possession against Georgia, and I gave me hope for like four minutes. Um, and then it proceeded to be maybe maybe the worst uh, football game I've ever attended. <laughs> we'll touch on that. Uh, probably a good place to close here. But like the the dynamic that we have between this podcast is very interesting because um, the only two schools that can really lord domain over me are the only two schools that like I actually know people extremely well from, which is LSU and Alabama. And so it's like this cross section of extreme frustration, but it is nice to have Rippy on this podcast because there are very few schools like Clemson and Ole Miss seem to be the only people who can lord dominion over Alabama. Um, and so one day we'll, we'll get into a deep dive of essentially Bama destroying Georgia's entire will to live, but me being able to vicariously live through Rippy's uh, enjoyment of making Alabama miserable. Top five Hugh Freeze moments next podcast. I can't wait. Oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> the best part about top five Hugh Freeze moments is that might be the only one that happened on the field. Yes, literally maybe the only one. We could talk about how he beat Alabama-Auburn LSU and Mississippi State and didn't win the West. Yeah, we will touch. We we uh, we, we discussed in the group text. Jesus Christ! <laughs> How's that even hearing those hearing those come together. That we did talk about in the group text. The Hunter Henry fourth and twenty five, and like I I do think having a Georgia fan and an Ole Miss fan just really commiserate on one episode because we kind of operate in two different levels of misery. Like Rippy's on the like truly apathetic side of like, no, it, I need you to understand that like, this is gallows humor and Georgia's on like the, the like fail child. Like we, we are successful, but we can still never make our dad proud. And so I do want to get into an episode where we just wallow for, for 60 minutes one time. <laughs> I'm in. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, folks, thanks again for listening to Banjo College Football. Uh, we'll be back again next week uh, with more news because I'm sure it's going to be rolling in. Uh, until then, take care and be well. Peace. Next week's a coronavirus week. Later. <laughs> <laughs>